The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day... The internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. Hi, I'm Peter Laws. Before we begin this episode, let me point out that there are some bonuses at the end of this episode. There's a, there's a whole other section for um, this topic that I thought I would include. But interestingly enough, when I was editing this, I also heard some strange sounds in the background of this, which wasn't there when I recorded it. So I've included that as well as a little music at the end. So stick around and check that out if you like. Thank you. I made a Ouija board in woodwork at school. Yeah, it was a slightly unusual choice at the time, and some of my fellow teenagers in the class looked at me a little bit funny, but the teacher seemed pretty chilled out about it, so I made it. And I have to say, it's one of the easiest woodwork projects you could possibly do. Literally, I just sawed off a little bit of wood and um, sawed off another section of wood as a kind of pointer, or as they call it, planchette, and tried to put a little pointer on it. And then I, I didn't even do anything fancy with the letters I just got a pen and marked onto the actual um, board my uh, my letters and of course it created a Ouija board which is uh, famous in the world of the paranormal as a way for us to contact the spirits we ask them questions like is there anybody there and as we place our fingers on the planchette it starts to move around and spell out yes or no and um, hello and goodbye I must say that uh, I took that Ouija board home and tried it a good few times with my friends. And uh, to you know, cut a long story short, I did bring it back in a couple of weeks later and sawed it in half. Because as I was playing with it with my friends, we seemed to contact the ghost of an ancient witch who started to threaten to kill us all. Now, was that actually contacting the dead or were we moving this planchette by accident or even on purpose? We don't know, and I don't know that, but it was spooky enough for me to decide I don't think I want one of those anymore. Having said that, I did do the Ouija board on several occasions um, with friends and even by myself because I was fascinated by this topic. And so today on Our Curious Past, I thought it might be interesting to explore the history of the Ouija board. This isn't frightful, so uh, that's my other show, which is uh, the Scary True Stories podcast. So it's not going to be particularly frightening, but I hope it might be fascinating and interesting to know where did the Ouija board come from and why did it start out as a game and then become so disliked by many people and seen as a doorway to demonic possession. Because if you ask anyone these days, when they uh, when they talk about the Ouija board for many people, they see it as a doorway to danger. Is that a cultural reason or is it actually dodgy? Well, we're going to explore the history of the Ouija board now and uh, its roots and where it went. And so join me tonight on Our Curious Past because I'm Peter Laws and we're about to listen 
to the history of the Ouija board. was that? Shh, be quiet. <gasps> On the 31st of March, 1848, the Fox family were trying to get to sleep in their small wooden house in Rochester, New York. Sleep didn't come easily, however, as the house made noises. Bizarre knocking and tapping sounds rattled through the house, but the family couldn't figure out who or what was making it. One of the Fox daughters, Kate, was approaching adolescence, and on the night of the 31st, She lay in bed listening to the knocks, and she'd already decided that the noise came from a ghost, which she called Mr. Splitfoot, common nickname for Satan. But that night, she did something that would have a massive impact on both sides of the Atlantic, and would lead to our topic tonight. She began a conversation with this knocking presence. Kate asked Mr. Splitfoot to copy her hand claps, and to the astonishment of the family, It responded with yet more knocks. Baffled, they called the neighbors round and were shocked to hear the ghostly conversation continue right in front of them. In time, Kate's sister Maggie used knocks to speak to the spirit too, and it knocked back for her as well. A century earlier, such a presence in the house would have been a worrying sign that something had gone wrong in the afterlife and that bad things, or at least inconvenient things, were about to be unleashed. With the Fox sisters, however... It was the start of an amicable meeting. Because of the culture and climate of the time, this was not a grave danger to avoid, and neither were anybody worrying that they might be hung as witches for doing so. Now it was just a creepy and fascinating anomaly that ought to be pursued and even tested. Kate and the family quickly developed a system of knocks so that they could communicate more meaningfully with the spectre. And this spirit claimed to be Charles Rosa, a murdered peddler, who used to live in the house. The way he died, his throat was cut. News spread that a ghost was in the Fox home, but the real headline which blew people's minds was that it was happy to talk. This wasn't the first, nor was it the only example of modern interaction with spirits, but the observable ghostly conversations of the Fox sisters brought the idea of communicating with the dead to the masses, especially when they took their spirit show on the road, demonstrating to a growing bank of now paying seekers, that the dead not only survive death, they're super chatty too. Accusations of fakery from scientists or even of demonism from the church, the Fox family were Methodists, did little to quell the growth of something revolutionary. Everyday people were now reframing spirit communication as a desirable enriching experience. News of the sisters spread to the UK, where people were at the time lapping up a new book called The Night Side of Nature. Written by Catherine Crow, it was a collection of ghost stories presented as real eyewitness accounts without embellishment. And this rational approach to spectres was a sensation. And the book was reprinted in 18 editions in the space of only six years. Inspired by the growth of ghost accounts, Americans and Europeans tried talking to the dead themselves. They'd attempt Fox-style communication in their own homes, and some were shocked to hear the knocking sounds come back. And so mediums sprang up all over the place, and, although not all of them were women, it did provide a rare opportunity for female practitioners to make a living, to travel, to gain independence, fame, and respect. 
Newspapers began to fill with stories of so-called apparitions, in seances and sittings, and people were ready to witness them. The American Civil War, which ended in 1865, had littered the nation with corpses. The possibility of demonstrable evidence of an afterlife struck a powerful chord for those who had lost sons and husbands in battle. What's more, to a world that had embraced the scientific method, ghosts made a quirky sort of sense. For too long, organized religion had asked its followers to believe in an invisible god, who many felt had been a bit quiet on the signs and wonders of late. Now, a form of spirituality had emerged that could be tested in any lounge or parlor, and could be inspired and informed by developments in science and technology. The problem was, however, that all of this rapping on table stuff and having to interpret the responses was an extremely slow way to have a conversation, and frankly, it became a chore. Other methods emerged, like writing with a planchette. Here is where a vertical pencil was fixed to a small board on casters so that mediums could transcribe what the dead were supposedly saying to them. But this method could also get pretty messy, and notes might be impossible to decipher. Other new approaches were explored until the most recognizable form of spectre tech hit the world in the second half of the 19th century, and it made such an impact that even today it remains a morbid rite of passage for millions of teenagers, and has become both the prime symbol of the personal ghost encounter and a bona fide pop culture icon, the Ouija board. Is there anybody there? (gasps) The Ouija board and the history of it is fascinating because it manages to straddle the realms of harmless parlor game and slumber party favorite to what some believe could be the gateway to hell and demonic possession. Yes, this combination of a lettered board with a small wooden pointer proved to be a rather nifty piece of ghost tech particularly because it meant that people did not have to rely on some specialist medium to interpret all the knocking sounds or chaotic squiggles on paper, that people could interpret it for themselves in letters, words, and sentences. Having an alphabet board with a separate indicator made everything just more simple, and it democratized necromancy, and even made it fun. In 1886, the New York Tribune ran an article called The New Planchette, which listed at least seven Ohio cities who were going wild over the talking board. This perfect craze had now taken the place of card parties as evening entertainment. And so naturally, the article gave detailed instructions along with a diagram so readers could make a talking board of their own. And the growing demand for these fun, spooky, and most importantly, easy-to-make games saw the appearance of pre-made boards, But it was Charles Kennard of Baltimore, Maryland, who was first to see this as a serious business opportunity. He set up the Kennard Novelty Company to produce the boards, and it became hugely popular, with an ad in the Sunday Herald on the 21st of December 1890, which described it as the Ouija, the wonder of the 19th century. And it said this. By simply resting the fingers of two persons upon the small table it moves and to all intents and purposes becomes a living, sensible thing, giving intelligent answers to any questions that can be propounded, for sale by all first-class toy dealers and stationers. Kennard, along with a group of investors, patented the device soon after, on February 10th, 1891, and assigned the rights to the Kennard Novelty Company. The granting of the patent was a story in itself, 
since Kennard knew that the application would fail unless he could demonstrate that the board actually worked. So he took a medium with him when he filed the application in Washington. Her name was Helen Peters. And sure enough, the chief patent officer demanded evidence and asked that the board spell out his name. He kept this bit of information hidden up until then. Perhaps the spirits of the dead intervened, or maybe Elijah Bond, Kennard's patent attorney, happened to know the man's name already. <gasps> However it happened, a visibly shaken patent officer granted the request on February the 10th, 1891, under the description of a toy or game. Bond, who was also the brother-in-law to Helen Peters, was listed as the inventor. Now, how exactly they came up with the name Ouija isn't clear. Popular beliefs say it's the combination of the French and German word for yes, we and ya. Others claim the board named itself after Kennard and Peters asked it to. The board supposedly explained this strange word meant good luck, and then Peters revealed a locket around her neck, which held a picture of a woman she admired called Ouija. Though it's possible this actually might have been the famous author and women's rights activist, Ouija. However the name came about, the Ouija board made money, and the business changed hands until the rights to manufacture it were leased to a shop foreman and soon-to-be entrepreneur, William Fold. It's said that the board itself told him to build a factory to make the boards and to prepare for big business. So he built a three-story factory in 1918 and started producing units in record numbers. With a knack for publicity and an eye for design, Fold added the famous sun and moon icons. And by 1920, the Ouija board made Fold a millionaire. The New York Times said the boards were as popular as bubblegum. That same year, the music for the great Ouija board song, Ouija Ouija Tell Me Do, was released, citing it as the craze of the country. And on May 16, 1920, the San Francisco Chronicle magazine ran a cover story called Ouija Mania, the strangest craze of all. Just over two weeks earlier, Norman Rockwell even painted a couple playing with the board for the May 1st, 1920 cover of the Saturday Evening Post. And his inspiration for the piece? Well, the previous summer he'd attended a New York dance hall, where dancing wasn't the only fun on offer. Ringing the perimeter of the floor, Rockwell noticed several couples sitting knee-to-knee and moving planchettes across Ouija boards. It was this that inspired his painting for the post. A look at Ouija ads from this period reflect the dating aspect of the Ouija. Yes, they tend to show a young man and woman enjoying the mysterious romance of a talking board date. As we'll soon see, this dating angle for Ouija ads would continue for decades. William Fold ran the company for 26 years until it killed him on February the 24th, 1927. He climbed onto the factory roof to replace a flagpole, but an iron support gave way and he fell backwards, tumbling through the air. He managed to grab an open window, but he couldn't hold on and he plunged three stories to the ground. Despite his multiple injuries, it was thought that he might survive and he was rushed to hospital but on the way, a bump in the road pushed one of his broken ribs and rammed it through his heart. The factory that the Ouija board had told him to build wound up taking his life. The official William Fold website says that as he lay on his deathbed, quote, he made his children promise they would never sell the Ouija board. 
Well, the family company kept making the boards for decades until 1966, when they sold the business to Parker Brothers, who also made Monopoly and Cluedo at the time. Parker ads from the time echoed the 1920s approach. They were pitched as fun, if a little mysterious, games, ideal for two players. One ad ran with the title, Funny how a boy seems to make the best partner. And the picture shows a young, clean-cut couple consulting the board, knee to knee again. And the floating questions around them ask, Should we go steady? And what college will accept me? And the blurb adds, Makes a great Christmas present for anyone who likes a fascinating experience of exploring the unknown. From famous Parker Games. Another Parker ad from 1970 picked up on the groovy occult scene that by then had slipped into American popular culture. This one had another dating couple, only they're dressed in black, and the ad promises that this spooky talking board will help a girl relate to her boyfriend. Ouija's weird, Ouija's wonderful. All the ad screams before ending with you might even get a little turned on from famous Parker Games. Ouija board, Ouija board, tell me true. If I want to get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered to my door for a great price, where should I go? Oh gosh, look, it's moving. H-E-L-L. Go to hell. What? Oh no. Oh, yes. uh, hello. Wait, it's still it's still going. F-R-E-S-H. Why, of course, it recommends HelloFresh. And why wouldn't it when it's America's number one meal kit? Yes, HelloFresh is the key to dinnertime success with 40 chef-crafted recipes to choose from every single week. Want some family-friendly meals, or maybe it's fit and wholesome? HelloFresh has got you covered. It's fully customizable, too, with over 100 add-ons like snacks, sides, and more. I'm a big fan of the price, too. HelloFresh is 25% cheaper than takeout and costs less than grocery shopping, too. Hey, Ouija board, do you know how much percentage my listeners can get off their order at HelloFresh? Oh, it's moving again. Five. That's right. No, it's more than that. Five. Yeah, that's it. Oh, five. Oh, that's right. 50%. That's the sort of deal I'd say yes and we and ya yeah to Ouija. Get it? Anyway, go to HelloFresh.com slash 50Curious and use code 50Curious for 50% off plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash 50Curious and use code 50Curious for 50% off plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. The board went through a significant rebrand in 1973 when Ouija became a lot less the fun date night option and more a portal for masturbating vomit demons. Yeah, it was movies, not board game companies who were to blame for this shift. It's not that the Ouija hadn't featured in horror films before. It makes a spooky appearance in 1944's The Uninvited with Ray Milan. It's a really good film. But The Exorcist was a punch to the cultural gut, igniting fears of religious abandonment across the world and the rise of the occult and the idea of youth gone wild. And the doorway to all this loss of values and societal chaos was a harmless board game kept in the attics of America. Yes, the mother in this film doesn't relate to this silly childish game when her daughter brings it out, but the daughter knows better and finds great meaning in it, and this choice leads her to become demonically possessed. The Exorcist was such a huge hit 
and such a shocking film that it helped to train a generation of parents and lawmakers to begin, firstly, mistrusting gaming in general. So, for example, when the 1980s brought video games and Dungeons and Dragons along, they had been pre-stoked to assume that Satan liked to roll the dice with children. And so games were seen as uh, dangerous anyway. But the Ouija board never recovered from the Exorcist film. They bought the rights for the Ouija board from Parker Brothers in 1991, and with it they acquired the Ouija patent, and rather than rehabilitate the board, they embraced the horror of it all. In 2014, they even partnered with Universal to produce the hit horror movie come feature-length ad, Ouija, and a prequel followed in 2016. Hasbro have also released special editions of the Ouija board, like a green glow-in-the-dark version in 1998, or their Stranger Things limited edition in 2017. There was also a Barbie-style pink edition from Toys R Us, which caused controversy for being pitched to young girls in 2010. British budget store chain Poundland got into similar hot water when they sold a large folded spirit board complete with the fold sun and moon, and at one pound, this was the cheapest board yet. But the store eventually pulled the product around Halloween 2020 due to pressure from, quote, church ministers and paranormal investigators. Both groups seem to clearly subscribe to the Hasbro school of Ouija as opposed to the Parker Brothers. They did not see this as harmless. They believed it was a dangerous doorway to hell. The Ouija board has always straddled two worlds, really. Even in the early days, this fun parlor novelty was seen as both a game and more than a game. It had a spooky and mysterious element, but still fun. The Exorcist and the Satanic Panic of the 1980s and 1990s, however, has helped cast the Ouija board as anything but a game. I've met evangelical Christians who insist that the Ouija is a genuine tool of Satan. I've also met paranormal investigators who say the exact same thing, only they might use the word dark energy, perhaps, rather than the devil. This element of threat and danger has, ironically, made the Ouija a go-to rite of passage for teenagers at parties, where the gamification of the supernatural creates a feeling that's hard to resist, a kind of high-stakes fun. The Ouija now sits alongside dusty old copies of Scrabble or Monopoly in a surprising amount of family attics and game cupboards. According to Adweek, there are an estimated 25 million Ouija boards in American homes today, yet many simply make their own. That's the beauty, some might say the danger, of the Ouija board. You don't even need a board to play it, just a glass and some torn paper for the letters and numbers. I've been at parties myself where people have just used a torn-up cereal packet and a plastic deodorant top. It's the same simplicity that first attracted Kennard and the other pioneers of paranormal play well over a century ago. Yet the board itself, the Ouija board, even just the word, just the look of it, the idea of it, has taken on an iconic status of its own. And so it remains desirable today for many, while others see it as this dangerous pastime that should be avoided. But you'll see... The Ouija board and its design on anything from mouse mats, tea towels, shower curtains, tattoos, and bath mats. Today, Hasbro lists the board on their website at $19.99 under the title Ouija Game for Ages 8 Years and Up. Some adult assembly required. Unlike Parker's fun for a date night ad in 1966, Hasbro drop a deliberate threat into their item description. They say, Handle 
the Ouija board with respect and it won't disappoint you. The Ouija board then has a complicated history. It began as a mysterious yet playful and even fun game. A wildly popular but not particularly terrifying toy. Yet, in the early 70s, the Exorcist movie changed its reputation forever. No longer was it seen as quirky fun, it had become a conduit for demonic forces. Indeed, there really are some frightening paranormal cases where the supernatural activity seems to have stemmed from using the Ouija board. Does that mean that the board genuinely does have demonic power, or does the cultural reputation of the board fuel the imagination of its user? Who knows? What we're left with is an incredibly simple and easy-to-make device that promises to open a doorway between our world and the next. Despite the sense of danger attached to this, or perhaps precisely because of it, the Ouija board has become a staple part of teenage life. At school, as well as the one I made in woodwork, I literally have lost count of the amount of times I did the Ouija board with friends and alone. We did it in the school library, at parties, at a spooky old castle once. I remember perhaps the creepiest time was when we crawled down a horribly narrow underground tunnel and dropped inside a hundred years old salt house, which was a tiny chamber in the grounds of a sanatorium. And when we got there, my friends and I pulled out a piece of cardboard with printed letters and then by candlelight set the glass down and asked is there anybody there some of my friends refused to carry on playing with the Ouija board because they said it wasn't a game they said they tried it at home and the glass had shot off the table and smashed against the wall I never experienced anything like that I never saw the planchette moving by itself But I'd be lying if I said that the planchette did not move when fingers touched it, because it did, many times. And perhaps most perplexing of all, it moved by itself when I was doing it all alone, which despite advice I did many times. Even on holiday at Ponton's holiday camp in Blackpool, when my family went out to see entertainment for the night, and I stayed behind for a while so I might consult with the dead. I still don't know for certain whether I moved the glass with my subconscious or the idiomotor effect, or if there was an invisible companion moving it for me, its fingers upon mine. All I can say is that it moved. And I think perhaps that's why the Ouija board has such a powerful reputation. Because it really does seem to work. For whatever reason, it does move. For the pre-70s crowd, that was an exciting thrill. Since then, it's become a symbol of evil. The simplicity of it all will mean, though, that folks will be setting their fingers on the glass and asking, is there anybody there for another hundred years or more? Whether they should depends either on your point of view or when you were born. I'm Peter Laws, and you've been listening to the history of the Ouija board on Our Curious Past. The Ouija board was so successful when it came out, it spawned many companies to bring out their own versions, imitations or contenders for the talking board throne. If you want to hear more about those, then stay tuned because there's a little bonus to this episode just exploring those alternative ones. I would also say that if you're enjoying this show, Our Curious Past, and my other show, my scary, really scary 
uh, True Stories show, Frightful, then, um, you know, check them out. But you can join my Patreon as a way of supporting the show. That's a really big help. Go to patreon.com forward slash Peter Laws, where you'll get exclusive extras, ad-free episodes and more. Uh, That would be cool. Thank you for listening and do get in touch. Um, You can find me at peterlaws.co.uk or on social media at RevPeterLaws. And um, perhaps you can tell me about your experiences of the Ouija board. But until then, um, stay tuned for that little bonus. Um, Until next time, thanks for listening. Eager to replicate the success of the Ouija, other companies have come up with their own version of the talking board. Even Charles Kennard himself, who was so instrumental in bringing the Ouija board to the toy market, left his own novelty company in 1892 to set up a rival. That was called the Volo Board, and it was his flagship product, and it could even predict the weather with options for clear and rain on the board. Yet his old company, Kennard Novelty, quickly filed a bill of infringement and Kennard admitted defeat, and the Volo ceased production in January 1892, a mere three months after Volo production had begun. Kennard tried again in 1897 when he set up the American Toy Company to produce the Igly, Marvelous Talking Board. The board faded from sale in 1899 and no record of a patent application has been found. The many variations of the Ouija board often come with evocative and exotic names. For example, the Espirito or the Revelator from the W.S. Reed Company from 1891 or the Mitch Manitou board from Wild Manufacturing Company in 1917. The Nirvana Talking Board 1907 stands out due to a swash sticker printed at the top of the board. Casual observers might assume that this was the go-to board for Nazi occultists, or more likely for the time, Nazi couples on dates. Yet this was before Hitler rebranded the symbol from its ancient religious roots. At the time, this was simply the natural logo for the swash sticker novelty company who produced the Nirvana board for a brief period before fading under the mighty shadow of the Ouija juggernaut. While the above boards had only minor stylistic differences to the Ouija board, there were some more unusual innovations that came to the novelty market too. Famous board game company Milton Bradley produced a unique talking board in 1895. This was called the Ginny, the Witch's Fortune Teller. This version comes with a wooden top piece that slides to the side on wooden rollers so letters can be viewed through a tiny viewing window in the lid. It was innovative, for sure, but it never really caught on. In 1943, the Psychic Graph Company, Incorporated, produced the Board, which looked more like a printed bingo card, to be honest, with a unique planchette system. Players would set their fingers on the tips of a wooden cross with a spiked point in the centre. Quite how this was supposed to work in practice is anybody's guess, but the garish box art, complete with a guy in a turban holding a crystal ball, promised the Magi Board would create the perfect party with marvellous entertainment. The following year, Alice Lee Manufacturing even produced the Stargazer Mystical Question Board Tray. Not only did this Chinese-style novelty work as a mystical question board to the spirits, it also came with wooden handles to double as a serving tray. A particularly interesting board came out in 1967 called the Kabbalah. This was a highly stylized board made from molded green glow-in-the-dark plastic. And in the center sits a huge black eyeball known as the Eye of Zohar, watching over a circle of orange numbers and letters. As well as working like a talking board, like a Ouija board, this one also asks players to chant together at the start and includes... 
the zodiac and tarot cards to enter an astral plane, all guided by the roll of a black marble. For more talkative spirits, the board of choice would surely be the Zyria Human Battery Circuit Talking Board from 1972 from the Zyria Creative Arts Group. This garish, bright yellow board doesn't just offer letters, but it's like a dartboard-style circle bulging with hundreds of actual words, including tomorrow, engineer, sex, mistake, trip, affair, and don't. Considering the year and far-out themes, it's not a stretch to imagine a fair few people were stoned while using the Zyria board, but Substance fans would get their bespoke board in 2010, when iCup Inc. produced the weed ja that's weed and ja high-spirited talking board. The green planchette is shaped like a cannabis leaf, and the board has instructions to, quote, light up, or take one, two tokes, rather than yes, no, hello and goodbye, the Ouija offers, yeah man, no way, hey man, and later dude. In 1987, Canada Games, who claimed to be the best in fun, released a Ouija-based game experience that dropped the board altogether. In Ouija, the mystifying card game, players write a question that is answered by the turn of the lettered cards. The box claims that Ouija cards are without a doubt the most interesting, remarkable, and mysterious parlor card game of the century. Is there anybody there? I mean, still listening to this episode. Um, that is the end. So thanks for listening if for that little extra part. Uh, I was originally going to put that into the main body of the episode, but then I just thought all of that background information about alternative talking boards um, may work better as an optional extra. So thanks for listening this far. And before I go, I'm just going to interject here. I'm recording this after I've done all of the editing of this episode. I never normally go on for so long when I'm chatting on an Our Curious Pass, but a curious thing happened during the editing. I noticed a little bit of uh, audio when I was talking, and it really sounds like somebody laughing in the background. Nobody was with me at the time. What do you think? Have a listen. The Ouija board then has a complicated history. It began as a mysterious yet playful and even fun game, a wildly popular but not particularly terrifying toy. Did you hear that little laugh? Um, let me play the little snippet again. Playful and even fun game. Playful and even fun game. Yeah, maybe it's the sound of me accidentally brushing my cheek against the microphone. Uh, who knows? But um, I, I clearly noticed that when I was editing it. And um, because this episode seems to be going on forever, I thought I'd add that in. Well, listen, I'm going to actually say goodbye now. I'm going to play you out with some music. Because during this episode, um, I needed some Exorcist-style music and uh, couldn't actually use the proper Exorcist music because of the uh, copyright. So I quickly grabbed my guitar and piano and just uh, basically improvised uh, an Exorcist-sounding piece of music. So since it's copyright-free, since I did it, I'll play you out with it. I promise you, this is goodbye. Goodbye.